0: read Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26 down through verse 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord God will will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore uh, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month of her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Uh, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Uh, Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and and Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, uh, we just want to give you thanks. We want to come before you and ask that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, There are things that that each one of us need to hear today, uh, that this is your holy word uh, written to us and given to us even now, Lord. So we ask that your spirit would be here. We ask that we would not harden our hearts to the word. But Lord, where we need to be convicted, you would convict us. Where we need to be encouraged and build up, uh, you would encourage us and build us up. Lord, give me the words to say, uh, may we just be clear with what you would have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but, but, um, for some of us, Christmas, uh, is, is a lot of work. There's a lot of, of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of uh, getting ready, I think, for moms in particular who, who feel the, the need to to decorate the house, who probably do most of the shopping uh, for the Christmas gifts. And then Christmas comes and and they're spending half the day in the kitchen, perhaps uh, cooking. It can just be overwhelming when you think about the work of Christmas. Um, the joke that, that I sometimes have uh, when it comes to Christmas uh, is is people will say, you know, oh, well, don't you tell your kids about Santa Claus and those sorts of things? And my my joke was always "No, if I'm going to do the work to get the presents or if I'm going to buy the presents, uh, I want the credit for it. Uh, I want everyone to know what, what I've done. We're in a passage of scripture where we see primarily not the work of man, In getting ready for Christmas, but the work of God in getting ready for Christmas. And that's really what we want to focus on today for the for the first Christmas, as we think about it, all that goes into the the plan and purpose of God, all of his working so that Jesus could come. So our main point this morning is that the coming of Jesus was the work of God, God, the father prepares mary through the angel god the father sends his son god the father sends the holy spirit god is at work in his creation now god is always at work in his creation he is always upholding everything around us by the word of his mighty power Uh, the scriptures say that 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 the sun rises and the sun sets because God has a covenant with them. God keeps things in line and in order. Uh, The things that we identify as as laws of the universe, they are such because God has established that and God continues to establish those things. But even more so, when God does miracles, God works in his creation. You think about all through the Old Testament. And we'll bring this up a little later. All the times that God does something to bring himself near. To make himself known. You can think of the exodus and the ten plagues. Or the parting of the Red Sea. Or or you think about the various battles that Joshua fought. Or, or the time the sun went backwards down the steps for one of the kings. Or or when Joshua was fighting how the sun held still so that they could fight out the battle and finish it. All of these things, works of God. And now we get to the coming of God's Son, and we get to God is going to do even more work, as it were, an even greater work. So the coming of Jesus was the work of God, and we're going to talk about three ways that it was the work of God. First, the coming, Jesus' coming was the work of God's grace. Upon Mary. Just as God's grace works in our life to forgive our sins, to to give us good things, to shine His light and, and favor upon us, God's grace is at work in Mary. So first, we have the angel that Gabriel comes to Mary in verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God uh, to the city of Galilee named uh, Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man uh, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Uh, Here, you just might highlight that Joseph himself is from the line uh, of David, that great king, Uh, In the Old Testament and she is Mary here is is living in Nazareth, which after they return from Egypt with Jesus, that's where they go back to. And Jesus grows up most of his life in Nazareth. So Mary is I don't know if she's sitting there one day or standing there or what time of day this was. But but this angel shows up Uh, there. There must have been a moment of fear, a moment of of losing your breath of, oh, my goodness, what is going to happen? Look at verse 28, 29 and 30 as Mary is identified as as favored by God because of her great his grace. And he came to her, the angel, and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor With God. God is is looking upon Mary favorably. And we could actually translate that word, I I think, graciously. That God is, is going to do this in the life of Mary, not because of who Mary is, but because of the grace of God upon Mary. On the one hand, there is nothing special about Mary. Uh, Mary was a sinner just like the rest of us. Uh, And if any of you ever uh, have been around Roman Catholics or perhaps some of you grew up Roman Catholic, um, they will they will emphasize how special Mary was. And they will even say that that Mary had not a a virgin birth herself, but she was had an immaculate conception, which they say means that Mary was was preserved from original sin when she was born. Now, they would say Mary goes on and is a sinner, but they would say at the moment of her birth, she was different. She was untainted from any kind of original sin that we are all born with. But That's not what the Bible teaches. There's nowhere in Scripture that we find that. And so this coming of the angel and greeting her, oh, favored one, or saying, Mary, for you have found favor with God is not saying that that Mary has done something special that made God choose her. It's saying God is going to show his grace upon you. God is going to use you in some special way. You think about some of the great heroes in in the Old Testament and and God uses them not because they were perfect. In fact, they are often just as sinful or more sinful in some cases than we are. You think of of Moses who who murders a man and and yet becomes uh, the great leader of God's people. You think of, of Jacob, who lies to his family and cheats his brother out of the birthright, and yet uh, becomes a great hero of the faith. Or even even the great warrior Gideon, oftentimes cowering in fear, struggling to trust the Lord, and yet God uses him in a mighty way. God uses people out of His grace. And his grace comes upon people not because of something unique in them, but because of the good pleasure of God. Later on in the book of Acts, uh, when the Old Testament history is, is being rehearsed in Acts chapter 7, our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua and when they Uh, dispossessed the nations that God drove out before their fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. It's the same language that David had found grace in the sight of God. And you'll remember David was that warrior king, and he asked, can I build the temple, God? And God says, no, that's for your son, Solomon. But you think about the work of God's grace in David's life. On the one hand, because of all that God had done in his heart and in his life, David was called a man after God's own heart. Yet on the other hand, remember some of David's greatest sins. He murders Uriah because he slept with Uriah's wife. Then he takes in Uriah as his own wife. You think of some of the other occasions that there are many places that David was a man after God's own heart and did the right thing. And yet David was sinful. We receive God's grace not because of who we are, not because we are good inside ourselves, but because God is pleased to show us mercy. God's grace comes at his own desire at his own will because of nothing good inside of us. You see David was chosen in a unique way that that his house that his descendants from them would be a line of kings and from that line of kings there would be one called the Messiah who would save his people from their sins. And Mary is going to bear that Messiah But just as David had sins, and yet God showed favor and said, you will have a descendant who will be the Messiah, the Son of God. So also Mary had sins. But Mary was privileged to experience the grace of God. Mary is special in God's plan. She does receive a special gift of grace. No other woman ever, Bears the Son of God in her womb. That's pretty unique. And when you think about uh, the baby that is inside of her, that she is carrying to term, that baby is, on the one hand, completely human. It had human flesh, it had human blood, it developed just like little babies today. Develop. If you could have gone back there with an ultrasound and, and, and put that ultrasound over her tummy, you would see all of its features developing just like a human being. And yet, at the same time, that one in her womb is the eternal Son of God who has come down. You see, the uniqueness that she experiences isn't her own doing. It's a gift of God. Ask yourself then this Christmas season, how do I think of the grace of God? Where do I see the grace of God in my life? Now, none of us uh, have baby Jesus in our wombs. Uh, We don't receive the grace of God in that way, but we do receive the same grace of God in the wonderful gift of salvation. That Jesus Christ, this one who comes in the womb of Mary, dies on the cross to save us. Even more, you can remember, uh, many of us I'm sure can remember exactly where we were. Or what we were going through in our lives when, when we came to salvation. And we can remember, man, I, I really had some sins. Wow. God opened my eyes to see the truth. Maybe someone shared the Word of God with you. Maybe someone took the time to talk with you or pray with you, or someone gave you a tract, or someone came alongside you during a very difficult time, and and it was like the scales began to fall off your eyes, and you suddenly saw these things about God. They were real, and they were true. That is a miracle. That is a working of the grace of God. That you did not just one day wake up and decide and say, I am going to love God and serve God. But rather, God brought circumstances into your life and God brought the word near. And out of that, you received the Lord Jesus Christ and experienced the grace of God. Do you recognize this Christmas season? The grace of God. God did not have to choose or determined to choose to save people. In other words, God could have seen the sin in Adam and Eve, shaken his hands, and said, I'm done with it. Brush off the dust, as it were, and walk away and say, you know what? Yeah, I made these people in my image, but look at how far they fell from me in sin. But God determined that in his great love, He would save people. And having determined to do that, He sent His one and only Son through the Virgin Mary so that He might die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. When you think about the grace of God, remember this. God was not obligated to save me. In the same way, and and I'm drawing an analogy here, I'm saying in the same way, God wasn't obligated to use Mary. He could have picked any woman that he that he would have wanted, but he showed his grace to Mary, not because of who she was, but because of who God was. In the same way, God was under no obligation to. To save or show His grace to any of us. But having decided that He would do that, He sends His Son. And having decided that He would do that, the Son dies on the cross. And then He works this out later. Nothing except God's own promises and God's own kind intention obligates God To save a people. You see once he determines. I'm going to save people. Then he obligates himself. But he does that. Out of the overflow. Of his grace. You see the coming of Jesus. Is the work of God's grace. And I hope this year. During Christmas season. You remember most of all. The word grace. That God did these things. Out of the riches of his kindness. I don't know about you, but I've often thought. If I was planning on how to save people, I would have come up with a much easier solution. I would have done things differently. Thank goodness I'm not God, right? Thank goodness none of our God. But you you think about this. Who would imagine God sending his son, sacrificing him in such a way to show the riches of his grace? Most of us would probably look and say, that's too costly. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Look at how these people left me. I'm not going to extend good favor to them and, and save them. Perhaps even some of us do that in our lives. We say, look at how so-and-so has wronged me. Why should I go out of my way and forgive them and make myself vulnerable again? But God, in His grace, does all of these things. To you and I who are wicked second this morning. So we've talked about first the coming is is the work of God's grace. Second, Jesus coming was the work of God's promises being fulfilled. So one of the things God is doing in working is giving his grace. This is the way that God operates throughout the Old Testament, giving his grace. But the other thing that we have going on here is that this working of God is God fulfilling his promises. Uh, you see, God has been planning this since even before man sinned. But but even after man sinned, He's been working out these promises down through history. He's been He's been dropping seeds, if you will. He's been He's been dropping hints. He's been telling the prophets, "This is what's going to come." And then He goes along and He gives us a little more. It's 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 kind of like. Um, you ever read a, a really good mystery writer and, and they, they, they drop hints along the way? Now, a mystery writer is more subtle than God is, right? But, but they drop these clues and you, and you think to yourself, wow, there's, there's something going on there. And what, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden you get to the end of the story and, and like all these clues, suddenly they all wrap up together and you go, oh, my goodness, it makes sense. Maybe some of you play uh, video games and now video games do that as well right they have a storyline and and along the way there are all these clues that you're uncovering and then you you get to the end and you finally beat the big boss and all of these things wrap up well god is doing this throughout creation is he's giving clues giving promises giving prophecies saying this is what i'm going to do so that when i do it you'll know that it's me and christmas is the great fulfilling of the work of God in keeping all of these promises. So we want to look at the passage again. Mary is told she will have a son, and his name will be Jesus. So we have verse 31. uh, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, Similarly, in the book of Matthew, uh, when the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph, He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for what that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will be born a son and she shall and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. In fact, uh, the name Jesus, if we were pronouncing it in the Hebrew, it'd be something like Yeshua. It means Yahweh, or the Lord, that that special name for God, it means the Lord saves. And how is the Lord going to do this? He's going to do this in His Son, the Son of God. That one that He promised. All the way back in Isaiah, saying that the, the virgin shall have a child, and He shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. But even more, in Luke, the promise is that are being fulfilled are the ones given to King David and they'll be fulfilled in Jesus. Look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. He will be great, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will there will be no end. This picture here is of a great and mighty king, the very type of king that was promised to David, that this is David's descendant, according to the human fleshly line of Jesus. The language of being great is perhaps an allusion to Micah chapter 5, verse 4, speaking of the Messiah. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ is great to the ends of the earth. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has gone up into heaven now and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is ruling over all creation. He is sending out the gospel so that everybody all the way to the ends of the earth might hear about Jesus who came as a little baby. See, God keeps His word and people even today, you and I, have come to know that Jesus is great. He is awesome. He is the mighty one. And when He returns, He will return not as this tiny baby who needs to be swaddled and held and and cuddled and, and provided for and nursed. He will return as this mighty, triumphant King who has conquered death by dying for His people. He will be a warrior because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Turn with me, if you would, keep your finger in the book of Luke, and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want to show you this morning just briefly the main promise in the Old Testament to David that he would have a descendant. David was promised a line of kings that would come after him. We call this the, the Davidic Covenant. It's a promise, an oath that God uh, makes to, to David. Uh, he makes it through the prophet uh, Nathan. So Second Samuel chapter 7. And you have to remember here for a minute, just put yourself in, in David's shoes. David is the king of, of, of Israel at this point. And, and we hopefully all remember he followed the king of Saul, right? Saul was a bad king. That's probably putting it nicely. And and what God did was God said to Saul, you're done. You're not going to have descendants. You're not going to have any of your sons or any heir on the throne. I'm taking it away from you because of your sin. Now we get to David. And David is given the exact opposite of a promise. You will have descendants. You will have children who will reign. And your kingdom will go on forever. But the only way that that truly gets fulfilled is in Jesus. But I want you to look at this promise. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we're kind of picking up here in the middle um, because it would be a whole other sermon to do the whole chapter. Uh, but look at verse 12 with me, if you will. We're just going to read a little bit. Uh, this is speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning when you die and you're in the grave, um, that's putting it nicely, right? Uh, I will raise up your offspring, your descendant. You could translate it your seed. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Now, the, the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy is going to be Solomon. Solomon will build the temple. It will be a house for God's name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be a son when he commits iniquity. This is talking immediately about Solomon. When Solomon sins, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of man. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me forevermore. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, Solomon doesn't live forever. Solomon has a son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam gets himself into some trouble. The kingdom gets split, but Rehoboam has a son. And, and on it goes. Eventually, David's line is taken into captivity, and there's a period of time where there isn't a king. And it begins to look like, to the people of Israel, that God isn't keeping his promises. God said, I won't take this kingdom away. I'll, put a th- I'll give David a kingdom forever. God is going to fulfill this promise in the Lord Jesus Now, Jesus isn't the one it's talking about when it says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. That's talking about the human king. But Jesus is the one who is the ultimate descendant of David. He's the son of God. But he comes to earth and he takes on human flesh and he becomes part of the line of David so that he can reign and rule forever. You see all of these things these these covenant promises that God laid down Christmas is about God keeping his word. God is going to do what he said. There are a number of aspects of the promise. There's the aspect of the seed or or the heir, an offspring. Jesus is that heir. It was promised then that God and David's son would have a a special father and son relationship. Now, this was between an earthly king and God the Father. But how much more is it fulfilled by the one who is truly the Son of God, that Jesus and God the Father have a father-son relationship? It's also promised that David will have, through a line of heirs, a throne that will last forever. And yet at times in the biblical story, it doesn't seem like God is going to do that. But then Jesus comes. And it is the stamp and the seal that God always, to each one of us, he always keeps his word. Do you, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, but if you have a chance or you have uh, a CD or something, Listen to that this Christmas season but do you remember how Handel's Messiah ends in that that great wonderful it was the only part of Handel's Messiah we ever sang in choir he shall reign forever and ever and, and when you sing that with a choir there, there's just this overwhelming Beauty to it because everybody's there. There are all these parts repeating and it's not just one person or or they're not just saying together. He'll shall reign forever and ever. But other people going forever, 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 forever. God made that promise over a thousand years before Jesus came and he made it to David and he keeps it and he reminds that promise to Mary. Jesus will get this kingdom, he will get this throne, and he will reign forever. It's interesting, let me just throw out one more verse of scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of Jesus. For of which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's that quote from 2 Samuel. And God is saying in Hebrews chapter 1, God was never a father to the angels, but he had his son, his eternal son, who he sent to earth so he could be the king. God's fulfilling his work. Let me just make a point That the work of Christ is never separated from the person of Christ. In other words, who Jesus is, the Son of God, is vital that we connect it to what he will do. He will die for our sins. He will rise again from the dead. And he will reign forever. And we will reign with him. The scriptures say, let me just give you, uh, I had two things to remember out of this point or to This morning I added a third. So I think I say two things. Yeah, I say two things to remember. It's, it's three now. First, the unity of the plan and purpose of God. I hope that, that one of the things in, in the ministry that I have here is that you see how the Old and New Testament fit together, how they are connected One of the ways they connect is promise and fulfillment. And I'm trying to give you some, some hints or some pointers or some identification markers for how that works. The New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. It is not a postponement of the promises of God. It is God keeping His promises. And one of the sad things about Christians today, many of us, we, we just, we don't know our Old Testament. I admit there are some portions of the Old Testament that are that are tough, that are that are sometimes harder to understand than sections of the New Testament. But what I want you to see is that the Old Testament is just as much the word of God to you. I could sit here and tell you the story of Christmas and we could read Luke. But how much deeper is it? How much more enlivening and joyous is it to think about God made this promise over a thousand years before he actually kept it. I have trouble when I make a promise to my kids remembering it a week later. Uh, I'm getting to the point where my kids remember, Dad, you said you would do. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. But God can lay this down a thousand years or some of these promises two thousand years in advance. And He's not slow in keeping them, as some of us count slowness, the Scripture says. We think in our in our smallness that this was a long time. But God is patient and working and, and revealing more. And then even between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years where God doesn't reveal anything through the prophets. Can you imagine some of these people looking at their watches? God, you know, when's the Messiah? When's he coming? But God keeps his promise. I hope you remember that. And that's the second thing. God always, always fulfills his promise. Scriptures talk about waiting on the Lord. Waiting for God to work, being patient, looking for God to be active. Sometimes in our life, we, we go through a trial, we go through a struggle. We are praying to God to relieve this. We have legitimate promises that we can claim from Scripture. And then we turn to God and say, why aren't you answering me right now? I, I am like that. I am yeah, you know when I want something, I want it in that moment. It, it, it's like the the child at Christmas who who you want that toy and you need it right that moment. And and then if the parent uh, buys the the wrong type of toy, maybe the wrong type of GI Joe, uh, or the wrong um, maybe it's the knockoff version. Ah, that's not what I wanted. I didn't get what was promised to me. We can be that way with God. And we fail to see how God keeps his word. And God keeps his promises. But it is often according to his timetable to teach us, to stretch us, to, to instruct us. So that we might rely upon him along the way at each phase of our life. Now, I'm not talking about the person who takes this sort of name it, claim it approach to Christianity. That I can say whatever I want and then get it because that's how God works. But I'm talking about the genuine promises in Scripture. That God is reliable. That God is faithful. If God was faithful in waiting thousands of years until Jesus came, but he kept it because he promised with an oath by his own name, I will do this. How much more are promises that we have, like I will never leave you nor forsake you, or I will give you a resurrection body, or put your trust in me and you will be saved. How much more are those promises, bedrock, that we can anchor our lives in? Third thing to remember Jesus is no longer a baby, but a reigning king. That should be obvious when we think about Christmas. But as you think about this passage, Jesus is now fulfilling. He is reigning forever at God's own right hand. He is beginning and has begun to fulfill those promises to David. Now, there are some that will need to be wrapped up when the Lord returns. But Scripture says... That David, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn to him with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, God has exalted Jesus to his own right hand. Jesus isn't a baby anymore. He's a king. Third this morning, and this is the last one, Jesus' coming was the work of God's Holy Spirit upon Mary. I want to focus just now on how the Holy Spirit works in Mary. Obviously, Mary is a virgin. She even says, how is this going to work? I am a virgin. Verse verse 34. Verse 35, the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is an interesting word here, this word for, for overshadow. Um, when they, uh, in, in the time of Jesus or before the time of Jesus, uh, they actually translated the Old Testament, which was given in Hebrew, they actually translated into, into Greek for some people that only, only spoke Greek down in, in Egypt. And, and what is interesting is they use this word overshadowed, the same word that you, Luke uses to describe what happens when the glory of God entered the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 30. So so in our English Bibles, it says, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So picture in your minds, here's the tabernacle, and, and Moses is outside. And, and you remember from, from the Old Testament and from your Bible stories, and maybe you had flannel grass like I did when you were a kid, how this, this cloud of this bright glory, it, it just engulfs the tabernacle. And, and inside the Holy of Holies, God's presence is manifest by this radiating glory. It is so bright and powerful that you cannot even enter the presence of God. And when they translated that Hebrew into Greek, they said that cloud overshadowed the tabernacle. It it came down and it dwelt and it filled the tabernacle. The glory of God through the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, comes down. The Holy Spirit overshadowing her womb. So it is not about what takes up residence in the tabernacle, but now it's about who takes up residence in Mary's womb. The eternal son of God. The analogy is as the glory of God would come down and fill that tabernacle. God, the son who who radiates the glory of God, takes on humanity and comes down into the womb of Mary. In fact, John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you wanted to be quite literal, you could translate that. The word of God became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Because it's the same word that's used to speak of tabernacling in the Old Testament. Or in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. What is going on? The Holy Spirit comes over Mary. And the real eternal son of God who has dwelt in the presence of God forever enters into Mary's womb and takes on human flesh. This is why it was a virgin birth. Jesus Christ or or the son of God already existed before he entered Mary's womb. There there was no need for conception, Uh, even more. It is is not as if the Holy Spirit had some sort of union with Mary. He comes down and overshadows her. He comes down and and enters into her so that the the Son of God can be there in the womb. The reason I mention this is is sometimes, uh, particularly if you ever run into Muslims, they misunderstand what Christians believe when we say Jesus is the Son of God. We don't mean that God had relations with Mary and somehow then they had a child who is now the son. We mean that there is the eternal son who dwells as part of the Godhead, but he then becomes human. I trust that that for most of us, we've heard that over and over every Christmas or over and over, not just at Christmas, but it's it's a a important reminder. But then. We have this analogy that all things are possible with God, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also conceived a son. And on the sixth month, with her, w- was called barren. For nothing, or excuse me, um, yeah. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. That really is the connector. It's it's an argument from lesser to greater. Here is Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. She's an old lady. Uh, By all human processes and biology, her womb has been closed. And now her and her husband, through normal means, have a baby. God opened that womb. And the analogy is, if God can do that small little thing, it is easy for him to send the Holy Spirit and have Mary, who's a virgin, have a child. And the connection is, Nothing is impossible with God. If God can do that, he can do this with Mary. You see, we sometimes think because we live in the 21st century, well, we know how babies happen. And so, you know, they were silly back then and believed in virgin births. births. They knew where babies come from. Maybe they didn't know all the biology and how chromosomes worked and, and all the ins and outs biological. But they knew. They knew that virgin births were not natural; they just didn't just happen down uh, all the time. Can you imagine Mary going to her girlfriends? By the way, ladies, I'm pregnant and it's a virgin birth. Yeah, right. Can you can you imagine the snickering? Even in Jesus's day, his opponents said we were not, not at least we're not born by sexual immorality. There was this stigma that came around Mary. But all things are possible with the hand and working of God. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? That is is just as applicable today as it was to Mary. That God can do all that he has promised to do because all things are possible with God. God can deliver us. God can protect us. God can walk through us. uh, through the child. God can can heal someone if he so desires. And we can trust that he will do what is, is right and what will bring the most glory to him in whatever our circumstances because all things are possible with God. Mary leaves that conversation with the angel with a sense of trust. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She trusted him because he told her what she, she, needed, she needed to hear from God. That's the last thing this morning. Do you trust God? Do you trust his work? Do you trust His grace in your life that He really has saved you, that He really has forgiven you? He has washed your sins away. Do you trust that He keeps His promises? When He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, where He says those who stand fast and endure, those who overcome will will receive a crown of life in the book of Revelation. Do you trust Him in those things? Do you trust the Word of God? You read something in Scripture. Do you come before it with an open heart and say, yes, this is the Word of God? Or do you take it and you try to hold it up to human wisdom or human standards and say, well, now let me put this through the t- series of tests and then I'll see if I can believe. Trust the Word of God. Trust the power of God in your life. The same God that was active in the Christmas story and sending his son is the same God that is gracious to you and I every day and is active in our lives, calling us to be his children, shaping us, watching over us. Trust him this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, Whatever we are going through, whatever we are facing in life, wherever our needs are, and maybe we just even need to be encouraged this morning. Remind us today of just how trustworthy you are, that, that even as we walk out of here and we look at the trees and we look at the sky and all of these things are upheld by the word of your mighty power. We, we trust you with our very lives because in you we live and move and have our being. Every morning that we wake up is a gift from you. Lord, let us trust you with the spiritual things of our lives, that you know what's best for us, that you want to work in our hearts, that you want to shape us, that when you tell us to do something in in obedience or tell us not to do something, you have our best interests in mind and we can trust you and obey those commands because you are good You are gracious. We thank You for sending Your Son, the Lord Jesus, to accomplish the salvation of our sins. In Your name we pray. Amen.